Father, we come today to give you thanks for the powerful name of Jesus. The beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus. It's in his name that we gather today and we know that you are with us. And that you want to, to work in us, to change us, to, to help us know the joy of life with you. So we pray that through all of our worship today, We will sense you doing what we couldn't believe or dream or imagine through your grace. We offer this time to you through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship before you're seated. Uh, in your bulletin this morning of activities coming up, just please just uh, highlight the insert in your bulletin about uh, our missions week. Uh, we do this every year, usually in February, where we just focus some attention, particularly on the work of God around us and around the world. And as you can see, there's some things happening here. We invite you to Wednesday night. We have a world tour of uh, different places of the world, different ministries. And uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. It's for all ages. And also next Saturday, there's a seminar, um, Still Welcoming the Stranger, a Christian response to Muslim refugees in America. And uh, we want to continue to think of how we can engage, how the church can engage with people who are in need and, and who have been displaced. So we invite you to that as well as next Sunday, and uh, we'll be, uh, Don Little will be sharing next Sunday in our worship service as well. Scripture reading today is found in the book of Mark, chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childbirth, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. 
Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out through prayer. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward at this time to receive our tithes and offerings. say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, and right now, right now I'm losing path. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I
There is a um, a passion, a almost an agony of spirit that comes to me when I hear this song. I mean, you can hear the struggle in, in the in the author's voice as as he talks about the the battles he's facing and the struggles that he or she is facing. And, and, and you, you can sense just the, the agony of spirit and the questions and the lack of understanding. And I don't think that's a unique scenario. I think most of us have at least moments in our lives where we understand what the composers of this song are communicating. Pain, struggle, burdens. We have anxiety about the future. We can't seem to get an answer to. There are are issues of of health that we wrestle with. There's grief and loss. There's habits that we can't seem to get free from. There are financial burdens that weigh us down. There are relationships that are fractured and broken. And, And all of these things... We keep coming to God in prayer. We keep coming to God and it feels like we're getting nothing. That agony of spirit, that struggle that we experience is not only something universal, it's also historic. People have been wrestling with with struggles and burdens and issues since the Garden of Eden. And we see that in the story we read from Mark just a few moments ago. A man whose son has been possessed by a demon since he was a small child is wrestling and struggling, trying to find answers, trying to to get a solution. As the story unfolds, it kind of feels to me like it made me think of being back in sixth grade. And it's one of those moments in sixth grade, I don't know if this is your experience, but it was mine. In sixth grade, you know, fifth, sixth grade in that, in that range. And the teacher gets called out of the room for a little while. And she says to us as a class, okay, now just work on your assignments. And when she leaves the room, that's exactly what everybody does, right? I mean, as soon as the door closes, there's paper wads flying everywhere and erasers and chalk and people are up and running around and there's wrestling matches going on. I mean, it's just chaos in that room. And then all of a sudden she opens the door and comes in and it's just silence. And she says, what is going on here? And nobody says anything. You know, it's always a couple of squealers. They always want to tell them people, but, you know, but... I have that sense in my mind as Jesus and Peter and James and John come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, this awesome experience, and they come back into the city, and here are the disciples and the religious leaders and this crowd of people in this chaotic moment of arguing with each other back and forth. And Jesus says, what's happening? What's going on? What are you guys doing? What are you arguing about? Nobody wants to say anything to people arguing, but the father of this boy steps over to Jesus and says, here's what happened. I brought my son to you to heal him, and you weren't here. The disciples said they would do it, but they couldn't. And Jesus said, and he says to, them, to Jesus, 
If you can, help us. And I think that state, that question, that statement, and Jesus' question that follows it are kind of the hinge point of this whole story. Because he says, if you can, help us. And Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? Wouldn't you love to know the tone of voice in the, in the things that we read in Scripture? Because all we have are words on a page, and we all know from emails that we get, you can't always read the tone of voice in an email, right? You look at it, you go, what is that? What's behind that? What does that mean? How are they saying that? And that's why we create emojis, you know, with smiley faces that people say hard things to us, and here's a smiley face so you won't feel so bad. Right? And so we, we don't know exactly the tone of voice of Jesus, but I think Jesus is, is sort of this, this incredulous response of, really? After everything you've seen and all that I've done, what do you mean if I can? And I think Jesus is getting at the heart of, of our struggle with God. About these burdens and these concerns and, and, the, and the things that we wrestle with. And seem to find no answers. Because that statement of this father, help us if you can, is really asking, it's subtly asking a couple of questions. What he's really asking is, are you able, Jesus? Do you have the power to do it? Are you greater than this demon? Are you greater than evil? Are you greater than the pain that is that has taken my little boy? Are you greater And we ask the same questions. People of the world ask the same questions of God. Are you bigger than my problem? Are you enough? Are you big enough to to handle the future that I'm anxious about? Are you big enough to take this financial burden I have? Are you big enough to to heal this relationship that's fractured? Are you big enough to, to respond, to bring healing to the physical issues that we're dealing with? Are you big enough to handle my grief? Are you big enough to help me overcome this habit? Are you big enough? And one of the things that we find, one of the things I love about reading the Old Testament, because the Old, one of the things about the Old Testament is it is giving us a clear picture of the power of God over everything. And Jesus comes and he, he is the presence of God in flesh that is greater than anything we are facing. And we know that mentally, sometimes we wrestle with it internally. But I think there's a bigger question that we wrestle with. People who are already followers of Jesus probably at least believe with our minds that God is bigger. The question that we wrestle with, the second thing that I think this man's statement, the second question that's implied here is not just are you able, but are you willing? Do you care? Am I and my son important enough to you that you would release him from the spirit? That you would give us your time and your energy and your attention? Are we important enough to you? It makes me wonder if that wasn't what the argument was about. Because we know from John chapter 9 that there was a cultural perspective in first century Palestine that some people, many people, maybe all people, 
dealt with things from birth, dealt with issues that were big and, and terrible because they sinned. Because God was cursing them. In John 9, the disciples and Jesus come upon a blind man, blind from birth, and the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned? Him or his parents? Because this kind of thing only comes from some kind of sin. And Jesus says, you just don't understand how the world works. You understand the kingdom. And I suspect that the religious leaders are arguing with the disciples saying, you shouldn't be healing this boy. He's cursed by God. And if he's cursed by God, God's not going to heal him. He doesn't deserve to be healed. Either his parents did something horrible or he did something horrible. Somebody's family did something horrible. And if that's the case, you ought to be letting him alone. He's getting what he deserves. You shouldn't shouldn't ask for God to heal him. And Jesus says that's not the way the kingdom works. God does care. It's at the heart of who God is. That he's not only almighty, but he's all loving to every single person. And God's kingdom is about wholeness for everyone. And the brokenness of this world and the struggles that we face in this world. The, God's kingdom is about bringing wholeness to his people and to all people. I think it's fascinating that when you read this story... Everyone is in a a great argument. Everyone is talking to Jesus. Everyone is is making their pitch. And no one is paying attention to the boy. He becomes peripheral to all the discussion going on until Jesus says, hey, bring that boy to me. Jesus is really the only one in that group who's thinking about that boy. He cares about him. It is so easy for us To be more concerned with having right theology than being compassionate toward people who are in need. That we're we're less concerned about how people got to where they are and more concerned about helping them where they are. Sometimes finding out how people got where they are can help us know what the right best solution is. But we're not judging them. We're not saying, well, hey, if you've done that, sorry, you're on your own. God doesn't, isn't going to help you. But we're always communicating the compassion of Christ. Because that's God's heart. So here's the question we run into. If God is able and God is willing, why doesn't God act when we want him to? The short answer to that question, I don't know. I I, I don't know. God in his wisdom does what he does and doesn't do what he doesn't do. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that there are some things that scripture teaches us and life teaches us that help us understand some of why God does what he does. I think it's important for us to remember that while we are focused on the moment, God is always thinking about the big picture. We're focused on what's happening right in this instant, what we're going through, and God is always thinking about the bigger picture. We have a a little puppy who's actually seven months old today, and um, about ten days ago, he had to go in, he had a little growth 
inside of his eye and a little cyst, and they had to surgically remove it. And so they, they didn't want him to, you know, scratch it, rub it, uh, get his paw in there, irritate it, and get infection and make it worse. So they put one of those cones on him. Oh, man, it's horrible. You know, he hates that cone. He's trying to, you know, he's always pawing at it, trying to get it off. He's rubbing on the carpet, trying to get that thing off. You know, we feel so bad for him. He's outside and it took him a few days to figure out that when he runs up the steps, that cone hangs down a little bit. The first day he went up a couple steps, wham, he hit that thing and fell back down. He was outside. He's got snow in it from scooping it on the snow. And it's just, it's horrible. And he's wanting to take it off. And he looks at us like, how can you be so mean to me? Take it off. You know, all the dogs in the neighborhood are making fun of him. He got that cone of shame on him. It's horrible, right? And there are so many times we have, we have come this close to almost taking it off because we just feel so bad for him. But we haven't. Because it's not in his best interest. Because to help to do what he wants us to do in that moment would probably lead to dire consequences about his sight down the road. And parents do that with children. Our children beg us for something. They want something and we know it's not in their best interest. And so we don't give give it to them, but they don't understand. And we've all been there as children. I think there are times when God doesn't do what we want him to do because we're only thinking about the moment and God is thinking about the bigger picture. And I am convinced that ultimately the bigger picture is our relationship with him. The bigger picture is developing a life of faith and trust that quite frankly simply cannot be developed without a need for faith and trust. If God did everything we wanted him to do the moment we asked him to do it, there would be really no need to trust him. There would be no need for faith because we'd be in control of everything. But it would, it would ultimately lead us down paths that were destructive because it's only in faith and trust that we begin to develop a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And in that intimacy with God, we discover what we were created to be. Life, joy, peace, the fullness of God. All that God created us to experience, all that God created us to be, can only be found in intimacy with Him. And without a need to trust Him and to put our faith in Him and to rely on Him, without those circumstances, we would simply go on our way without ever thinking a thing about Him. And it might make life in the moment feel more enjoyable, but the consequences would be so deep and so great for us. It's hard to see that. And faith and trust are are things that, that you never get to the end of. You never get to the end of, of, of having enough faith. You never get to the end of saying, okay, I've reached the end of faith. There's no more trusting that needs to happen. I've I've finished it. I've gotten there. We never get to the end of faith and trust in our relationships with each other. 
I think all of eternity will be one new moment of faith and trust because that's how intimacy with God develops. And we'll never get to the end of knowing God. It's an awesome thing to think about. And we grow in our faith and we grow in our trust. I think that's what's happening when the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. I have a bit of faith, but I know I need more faith. And every day we pray that. And as as we come to God with the burdens and the concerns of our lives, we in essence say to him, I believe, help me to believe. And he will. And I think the greatest act of faith that we can take, the greatest step of faith we can take It's almost always prayer. You get to the end of the story and the disciples ask Jesus, how come we couldn't drive out the demon? And he says, this kind only comes out through prayer. There's a lot of speculation of exactly what Jesus means, but I think it is this dynamic of prayer that is not just saying words, though that's important, but it's this life of prayer. It's this life in which we are continually opening our hearts to God. Continually asking God to teach us and to change us and to transform us and to give us more and more faith and to believe in him and to put these things in his hands. I suspect the disciples were thinking they could just do it. They had the power within themselves. And Jesus says, no, this, this is, these things only happen through God. And the only way we connect with God is through prayer, through this life of openness and surrender. And the thing about prayer is that, is that every time we, we pray for God to be at work in the circumstance and the burden that we're wrestling with, every time we pray again about it, it's one more step of faith. I was reading in the, devo- the old devotional book, Streams in the Desert, a couple of weeks ago, and the author was talking about how, how we have these burdens in life and, and we pray about them for weeks and months and even years and decades. And we keep praying. And he says, when you're in those circumstances, every time you pray one more time, you're taking one more step of faith with God. Because the enemy is saying to us, look, you've prayed enough. Just stop. Give up. Quit. We've been rejected so many times. God has not done what we wanted so many times. Just stop. When what we need to do is to have enough faith in God to pray one more time. And every day to pray one more time. And the tension of of these kinds of prayers is that we pray In faith, we pray believing, we pray recklessly, we pray with abandon, we pray with with confidence in God. And we keep praying whether God answers or not. We keep believing whether God answers the way we want to or not. We keep trusting whether God answers or not. And that is the life of faith. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray. 
In a moment, I'm going to ask the elders and the pastors to come, and, and they're going to stand behind the altar rail here. And then we're going to invite those of you who would like to come and give us the privilege of praying for you. Maybe we can be faith for you that you're struggling to have for yourself. We want to pray with you and pray for you. And it doesn't matter what your need may be. There may be a physical issue that you or someone you care about is having and you want to come and pray about that. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with grief. Maybe you're dealing with things like depression or, or you're struggling with a relationship. Maybe there's a habit that just has enslaved you. Maybe there's a financial burden. Maybe, maybe it's, there's something about the future that you're, you're really wrestling with and you're feeling anxiety about. It doesn't, whatever, this, whatever it may be, this is an opportunity for us to pray together in faith believing. If you would like, we have oil. We can anoint you with oil. There's nothing magical about it, but oil in the, in the scriptures is a sign of the Holy Spirit being present. And so to anoint with oil is simply to remember the connection that the Holy Spirit is here and the Holy Spirit is at work. So I'm going to ask the pastors and the elders to come now and to, uh, to prepare. And those of you who would like for us to pray, come. You can kneel at the altar rail or stand. If that's easier, you can sit in one of these red chairs up front and we'll come to you. But let me invite you to come And give us the privilege of praying with you and for you. Praying faith into your life.
Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for the invitation to come and to pray. We ask that you will continue to give us faith as we bring to you the burdens and the concerns that we've brought today and will continue to. Father, we thank you for not only the ministry of this church, but churches around us. We pray for the Centerville United Methodist Church. May your blessing rest upon this congregation of believers. We think of the world further around us, and as we attempt to begin a new Celebrate Recovery group here, and we pray that you will help that to be something that ministers to each other and to people around us. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, many of whom face great difficulties for their faith in you. We ask, Father, that you will bless Pastor Emmanuel as he works with migrant workers and laborers from India and Pakistan in Kuwait. There have been great things that have happened. We pray that that will continue. It will continue to see fruit as your glory is revealed, your Holy Spirit. Father, again, we thank you for what you are doing in this place. We pray, Father, that you will give us faith beyond ourselves. Help us to believe. Help us to continue to believe. And we ask all of this in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Like a tree that grows by the water. Let the strong winds blow, I will not move. Just like a child secure in the love of a father. Never letting go, I claim to you. Every situation, no room for fear and doubt. No matter what I'm facing, the song of my heart is hanging out. I stand on your promise, I will not be moved. Nothing can tear us apart. My faith won't be shaken. I'm anchored in you. Death and in life, you remain the song of my Oh, 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 oh,
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.